Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Open All Night, Part 2. Gonda stood on the sidewalk in front of police headquarters, arms folded, her face like she was sucking a lime. Max walked down the steps slowly, his hands in his pockets under the white apron, now off-white, with street grime and somebody's blood. Blood? The cook touched the redness. Still wet, it had a familiar texture. Tomato, he growled, feeling the anger again. They even have tomatoes. By his side, Emmy was on the comm to Flo at the diner, who had come in early to cover the grill. He's okay, Dolly, don't worry. Just a small fine and a court date next month. We're on our way back now. To Max, she asked. Right? To the diner? Why even bother? He muttered angrily. They have tomatoes. It's all over. Yeah, we'll see you in a few, Flowey. Imelda said into her earcom, signing off. We have tomatoes now too, Max. The order from Topstock came in. Bruised and crushed. I'm gonna make pasta sauce. They have a chef trained in Italian cuisine, Emmy. Don't shout at her, Gonda scolded. So Cabanares has fresh tomatoes and eggplants to throw around in the street. If they want to waste food, who cares? They have eggplants too? I didn't see that. No, of course you didn't. You were too busy rioting. It was a little scuffle, he corrected. Friendly competition, that's all. They had all of 4th Street closed off, Bone Brain, the woman vented. You're lucky the Fleeties had their stunners set down low. Some of them are still standing on the corners to make sure things stay quiet. Great for business, Max. Getting arrested as a rabble-rouser? Good job. Lay off, G, would you please? It's been a day. He goes so well and his people were out there too, Emmy offered, and Max sees the point. Yeah, see? It takes two to riot, Gonda. It takes two to tango, Max. You had enough for a conga line. Whatever. Where'd they take him anyway? I was looking forward to being locked in a cell with that guy. Oh, Emmy replied. I was standing by the front desk talking to the sergeant. You know, that cute blonde chippy, what's her name? I got a home number, but not a name, imagine. Anyway, a call comes in from the mayor's office, and they just let he go free. They what? Ah, oh, that's it. The fix is in. It's all over but the stink. He stalked off, angry, dejected, and the two women followed. Gonda smoldering. Emmy limping and complaining about her feet. 
They caught the tram back to 4th Street in silence, though Imelda had to field three more calls from suppliers and another one from someone in City Hall. Max didn't want to know from anything, clearly, so she didn't share the details. On the corner of 4th and Loudon, right in front of the Roasted Shots Coffee House, a huge fleet soldier stood on guard. Featureless in the full-body armor of the infantry troops, he or she just looked back and forth, up and down the street, one gauntleted hand resting on the butt of a holstered, expanding rifle. On the breastplate and back was stenciled the number 022. It's a police state, Max announced, coming to a stop next to the soldier. In turn, the armored giant faced him. A minor difference of opinion between legitimate businessmen and they send in the shock troops. Would you just shut up, Max? Gonda cried in exasperation, pulling the fry cook away. She and Immy locked arms with the man and marched him down 4th Street. We all know our rights, Fleety, he flung over his shoulder. Someone gets hurt here and it's on your head, number 22, going down. At the door of the diner, the two women hustled him inside, fearful of stun blasts. Max freed himself from their clutches, stalking past all the tables and into the kitchen. Hi, Max, Jev Hallernarden, a young man who covered the counter for third shift, offered morosely. Max knew the signs. Dumped again? Yeah, just left me a message. I'll never find somebody, Max. How was prison? Like a spa, you should try it. Lots of love to be had behind bars. But Jev the Brokenhearted didn't reply. At the grill, Florence Borson, third shift cook, was seasoning a sizzling fake steak. A big, stocky woman, at least as tall and broad across as the armored soldier on the corner, and with brassy curls under a black hairnet, Flo nodded at him with her usual laconicness. A Mosca cigarillo hung from her lips, and a cloud of bluish smoke hovered in the air, also as usual. Hey, Flozer, what's up? He muttered as he went to his office. Same old Max. Should have called me in for the fight. Eh, there was no fight, he threw back, but then muttered to himself, Not one we could win anyway. He sat and stared at the notice again. It hadn't gone away. Of course not. How could it go away? It would go away when the 4th Street Diner did, because if the souls had the mayor in their pocket, the game was up. Money and politics, the unbeatable combo. Max fished out a bottle of Grano he kept hidden behind the recycler and poured himself a shot. It was the good stuff from Barlow and it always went down warmly. He raised the little glass to his lips with half a mind to spend the rest of the shift killing the bottle. Gonda came to the door and took the glass from his hand. Sicoja, she toasted, then tossed it back. Ah, she smiled in appreciation of the liquor, then pinned her boyfriend with a spike-like look. You're going to put me in the crematory, Max. He snatched back the glass and poured one for himself, which he then sipped slowly as they talked. What's there to do? he demanded. You can't fight City Hall, Gonda, 
Everybody knows that. Neither City Hall nor the Mayor's Office award the license slots, she corrected, perching on the edge of his desk. The licensing authority is in charge of that. And you don't think they're not all buddy-buddy with each other? Hello, Mr. Chairperson. How are you on this beautiful shift? Think you can give the go-ahead to my cousin's new business? I'm just fine, Your Honor. Thank you for asking. And I'd be delighted to help your disgustingly wealthy relation get even richer than she already is. What are well-connected cronies for, after all? And he laughed conspiratorially. Gonda ignored his tone. If any group has an influence this time around, it will be the 4th Street Revitalization Program. The who? The what? The 4RP, a committee put together by the Chamber of Commerce last quarter. They're trying to spur economic growth in the neighborhood. The licensing authority listens to groups like that because they spend a lot of time studying the neighborhoods they're dedicated to. Pillar Plaza had a committee. Remember how bad it used to be over there? The authority passed every license application that group suggested. Max was listening and thinking. Do you know who to call? he asked. I do, and I already have. While you were rotting in jail, getting bad tattoos and enjoying the communal showers, I contacted the 4RP and spoke with the chairperson's AI. You have an appointment here tomorrow morning. The AI? Why would I want to meet a machine? Her lime face was back. The chairperson, you slackjaw? He'll want to see this place and hear what you have to say. Max thought some more about that, then got to his feet. He took Gonda in his arms and held her close. She kept on her citrus frown, but was clearly pleased. You're too good to me, babe. This is very true. Max might have gotten some sleep that night, but it was hard to say. He didn't see sense in going back to his apartment for only a few hours, since his head and his worries would just be here in the diner the whole time. Instead, he puttered about, working with the bruised and smashed, then alternately dozing in the chair in his office. Gonda couldn't be there to help him greet the chairperson in the morning, since her own business required time and attention too, she had been careful to make him feel guilty about all the time she was taking out for his sake. He asked Flo to hang around and watch the grill while he smooched 4RP butt, and she just shrugged in assent. Neither New Guy nor KB would be in until mid-shift, so he gave Jev some overtime as well to cover the counter after the initial rush. Immy was here as usual, but she needed to handle some inventory and supply orders. Bit by bit, over the years, Max had turned over the minutiae of the business to her as she became more and more frustrated with how he failed to keep the diner properly stocked, or for that matter, up to date with taxes, certifications, and other elements of station bureaucracy. She was manager of the place in all but name, but still waited tables since Max couldn't afford to hire anyone else. This shift, 
the older woman had several calls to make, because the Greenbelt produce shipment had finally star-jumped in. She also had to fight with life support over a discrepancy in their last utility bill. Somehow, she knew the right com codes required to bypass their inane customer service AI, getting a real human on the line in record time. From then on, it was a matter of persistence and volume. She sat at the corner table with three different data pads in front of her, occasionally snapping out, Fine, Dolly, then let me speak to your supervisor. Max paced restlessly. You'll worry yourself to death, Crisper warned. He was well over a century old, having had some genetic work done now and then to keep him upright. A bony prune of a man, though still spry, the Fourth Street Diner was Crisper's home, even more than his home was his home, since he spent more waking hours here than anywhere else. He'd been Max's first customer through the door, 25 years before. As the cook stepped back and forth, he feared the old man might soon be his last. Worries for suckers, he replied, clearly worried. The chairperson was due any minute. Max had looked the man up, a rich-looking older guy with nice suits and a privileged smile. Max had let himself hate the sight of him and was now rehearsing in his head how to undo that mistake, or at least how to fake it. Wispy thin and mousy, or maybe that was just her mannerisms, a woman entered quite timidly, looking lost. She was probably in her late thirties, though could have been younger, and was dressed in a clean yet well-worn gray suit. She carried a plain satchel, which appeared heavy and overfull in her hands. Um, sit where you want, dear, he instructed, motioning for Jev to take over. Oh, um, um, okay. And she slowly settled at the counter, looking befuddled. Hello. Jev said easily, stepping behind the counter and smiling despite his broken heart. What can I get for you? The woman smiled back shyly, dropping her eyes, whispering, I'll take some Dilligad tea if you would. Green or red? Green, please. I still have work to do today. And she giggled. It would be a positive pleasure, the young man replied gallantly. Always the rebound boy. Max just shook his head, less in disgust than in impatience. This could go badly. These committee people and politicians were all alike, and not a one of them understood a day's work. They were exactly the kind that hovered around opportunists like the Sowells, entrepreneurs with fancy businesses and fancy clothes, people with big plans and ambitions. What did any of them care for a man who had worked all his life to build and keep a small eatery floating through space? A man who only wanted to keep it going despite all the pressure for change? What would 4th Street be like without the diner? Working folks needed a quick place to grab a decent bite, while beautiful people just needed beautiful places in which to be seen. The character of the neighborhood, the soul of the neighborhood was at stake. He saw this clearly, no matter what Immy and Gonda and everyone else said. Really, the only people he trusted on this particular point were the Sowells, since 
What they were fighting for was now plain, and they no longer minced words. His calm beeped, and he touched his ear. So? It was Gonda. So nothing. Nobody yet. Hmm. I can't get away right now, but hold on. I'll call the number I was given yesterday. He could hear her futzing a bit as she patched him into a second line. The inhumanly polite, fake feminine voice of an AI answered, and his girlfriend identified herself and the appointment she'd arranged. The machine apologized for any inconvenience and put them both through to yet another line. Behind Max, the mousy woman at the counter answered her calm ring. Um, hello? Fourth Street Revitalization Program? Talia Valentine, Assistant Committee Chairperson speaking. How may I help you? Max stepped up behind her, still speaking into his calm. This is Max Broellu of the 4th Street Diner. I have an appointment this shift. Oh! Talia, having heard the cook behind her, turned and looked at him, nine kinds of flustered, though still speaking into her ring. Oh, um, I I'm sorry, um... Uh I'm already here, I, I, I guess. Mr. Uh, Bruello, sir? Is the chairperson there, Max? Gonda asked. No, but we do indeed have his low-level bootlick. Be nice, his girlfriend ordered. Someone is better than no one. I'll be there when I can. And she hung up. Um, yes, um, uh, goodbye? Talia offered weakly to the deadline before closing the ring's connection. So your boss makes appointments he can't keep? The cook demanded sternly. He, oh, um... The woman was nearly beside herself with confusion and embarrassment, and Jev intervened. Max, please, just sit here and let Miss Valentine have her tea, and you two can talk. The older man was very inclined not to. The indignity of it was palpable. The chairperson of a committee that should have rightly been seeing the diner as a local institution just blowing him off like this? Suddenly, Max saw tentacles reaching out from carbonaris, as if from some deadly and poisonous animal. They ranged far and wide over the station, from the chrome archways of City Hall all the way down to the 4RP office, just a few blocks over. Higo wouldn't have thought that far ahead, but... Runda? Oh, yes. Crisper was watching him steadily and nodded at the counter. Flo did as well through the serving window, a round face under brassy curls, appearing from a cloud of cigarillo smoke. At the end of the tables, Immy, still on the line with life support, motioned angrily for him to sit down. Reluctantly, he did. Mr. Broellu, the young woman began, Please, let me assure you that no insult was ever intended by the 4RP to either you or your restaurant. I'm here to help you. Good, because it looks like I need it. The shiftless, soulless, living viruses that own that rat hole across the street have applied for my license slot. I've been here for 25 years, but this time around it's pretty clear the fix is in. Talia looked at him confusedly. The fix? I'm sorry. The secret handshake, Max supplied impatiently. The finger on the side of the nose. 
She scrunched up her eyes, trying to make sense of it. You know, the old boys club. Max, Emmy warned. He's concerned, Jev translated, leaning in with Talia's tea and a smile, that an unofficial agreement has been made between certain influential members of the government and the owners of Carbonari's Ristorante Italiano across the street, the purpose of which is to bypass the law and secure the upcoming licensing slot for their restaurant. That's exactly what I said, Max complained. Oh, she remarked with shock. Oh, oh, that, that's horrid. That would never happen, I can assure you. You do a lot of assuring for somebody without any authority. This whole thing stinks to high heaven. Max, take a walk, please, Emmy begged, waving for Flo, who'd been watching through the window, to come out and help. The big woman complied, and her boss soon found himself hustled through the smoky kitchen to his office, where he was deposited without ceremony or undue delicacy. Hands off, he ordered, falling into his seat. And that steak is burning. It's for Crisper, she explained, folding her huge arms over her bosom, a spatula in one hand. Crisper liked his food very, very well done, burned even, which is where his nickname came from. Oh, Max conceded then remembered his wounded dignity. If this place loses its slot, Flozer, we're all out of work. Yep, she replied. So leave it to the brains and looks of the operation, Max. Emmy will take care of us. She always does. I have brains, he argued, but found himself without any proof and just ended with a dark mutter. The conversation out front didn't filter all the way back to his small office, so Max confined himself to reading the latest issue of Two Star Restaurants, a food service journal to which he received a complimentary subscription from Topstock. It was a breezy, glitzy trade rag covering the industry throughout Dubin binary system. Clearly written by people who'd never worked in a professional kitchen in their lives, he hated it and mostly just glanced over the vids and still images. Flo had finally assured herself that he was going to stay put and gone back to the grill. Pitt said you bought tomatoes for sauce. Did you ever make it? She called. Yeah, I couldn't sleep last night, he replied, leaning out and pointing at the fourth door of the big cold shelves against the back wall. Leader jars. What are you making? The late lunch special she replied, opening the door and finding a row of red plastic containers on the narrow wire rack. I was thinking Manhattan sham chowder. Been a while. Your chowder's good, he said, getting up. I'll take the grill if you want to work on that. She studied him critically, then made a show of looking at the service window. I'll keep my mouth shut, he crabbed, so she nodded, satisfied. The late lunch rush hadn't started yet, but the place was getting busy. Emmy had brought the assistant chairperson over to the table where she had been working on the supply orders before, and Jeb hovered nearby. Max called an order up, and the young man sauntered over, looking pleased. What are they saying? The cook demanded when Jeb picked up the plate. Saying? Oh, I don't know. You're giving that gal the eye, aren't you? he demanded. We can't afford that kind of drama right now, Jevo, 
Keep your heart in your chest. She's really cute, though, don't you think? I wonder if she's single. I wonder if Ugly Henry's is looking for a fry cook, because I'm going to need a job at the rate this is going. But Jev had already walked away, and Flo wasn't listening. After a time, Gonda dashed in and just sat at the counter across from the serving window. I can't stay, she informed her boyfriend. What's happening? Max just waved at the table where Emmy and Talia sat, chatting like old friends. Looks good, the woman assessed. Okay, talk to you later. If there is a later. Just focus on the positive, Max. You have a lot of people who care about you, though Lord knows why. I need digs at a time like this, he accused. The diner might be gone in a month's time, Gonda. Have you thought about that? It won't be if you act like a professional, she countered. Yelling at people? Fights in the street? What are you thinking, Max? I'm thinking that you're thinking that I can't do this. On your own? Of course not. You're hopeless about some things. Aha! He announced with sharp satisfaction. There it is. You think I'm a loser. You think I'm on my way out. Well, let me tell you, Gonda, old Maxie's still got a few tricks up his sleeve. And that's exactly the problem, she replied, real anger finally seeping in, though her volume remained the same. You can't do this with tricks, Max. You can't keep the doors open with cunning. Leave that to the souls. No one wants to see this place continue more than I do, but it's doomed if you keep acting like a spoiled little boy. Oh, now I'm a child, he looked over his shoulder at the other cook, busy at the prep table. Flo, you better take the grill again. It's not safe for kids like me. The big woman shifted the cigarillo in her mouth, offering him only a sour look. When Max turned back, Gonda was already walking out the door. A couple of orders had come in during all this, and he busied himself making burgers, a plate of scobble, and a faux chicken salad sandwich. After a time, the two women in the corner got up, seemingly very friendly. Talia looked like she'd been crying for all the world. She and Emmy embraced warmly, and then the assistant chairperson even gave Jev a long hug. What the flux? Max muttered to himself craning his neck through the window. The waiter walked his new friend to the door, but she stopped at the counter for a moment. Goodbye, Mr. Broelu, she offered with a sweet smile while wiping her eyes. You have a lovely place and lovely friends. Uh, thanks? She walked on, and Jev stepped out on the sidewalk with her, where they paused again, chatting silently after the doors had shut. Emmy came back to the kitchen. So? So, she's a very sweet girl and you're a brute. I know all that. Can she help us? She's gonna try, but her boss has recommended to the licensing authority that since the slot is contended this time around, there should be a special health inspection. We just got inspected two weeks ago, he complained. Peppo Dag passed us with flying colors, just like always. Peppo's a great guy, she agreed, but his hands are going to be tied. The chief of the commercial hygiene department is the mayor's sister-in-law, 
and she's ordered Pep to use the startup list this time around. The what? Max demanded, incredulously. The startup list is for completely new businesses, for people who don't know what they're doing yet. I've only had one startup list to pass in my life, Imelda. You want to know when that was? Twenty-five years ago, she concluded in a monotone. That's right. It's Higo Sowell behind this. It's Brunda. Whatever, Max. Apparently, the chief feels that, since the counter space in Carbonari's has to follow the startup list, you know, because it's new, then it's only fair that any contenders for the slot have to as well. We can do this. I'll get the newest version of the list so we don't miss anything, and we'll all get started. Maybe you can call new guy in. He likes cleaning better than dealing with people anyway. When does Peppo come by? Day 172, 0900. 172, he spluttered. One day morning? That's only like 48 hours. We can't get this place up to startup standards in that time. We have to, Max, so we're going to. She looked him dead in the eye and held his gaze for long moments. From what Talia says, her boss is close friends with the mayor, and we already know the mayor is on the side of Carbonari's. So yes, it's exactly what you've been saying all along. Then we're sunk, he responded morosely while dribbling dark brown gravy on the scobble. He looked out the serving window at Jev, who was still flirting with Talia out front. Crisp, he asked the old man at the counter. Go tell that knucklehead he has an order up, will you? Right. We're only sunk if we give up, Immy declared. Listen to her, Max, Flo emphasized, taking out her cigarillo, now just a glowing stub, and pointing to the older woman with it, a gesture of warm emotion for her. Immy's always right. Thanks, Dolly. We can pass any inspection they throw at us, but we can't afford to panic. Who's panicking? Max demanded. He set down the dripping ladle and held his hand out flat. Nerves of solid polinium, Emmy. Look at that. Don't prove it to me, she replied while dialing New Guy's number. Prove it to the souls. been listening to Open All Night, a short story written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2015 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called I-Core by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Open All Night is called Music of Frog by Karogi and is available on SoundCloud.com. 
Open All Night is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>